Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of GSU ENI Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. We're talking something you love. Blockchain. Blockchain. Now, we are in full stride. I mean, we've been broadcasting all day here from the Georgia State University Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute, and we've just had a blast. I feel so metropolitan. We skipped right across the street, got a slice like you city um, guys do. On Broad Street. Right. Came right on back, going back to work. This is going to be a fun segment. First up on this episode of uh, the Georgia State University Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute radio program, Please join me in welcoming back to the Business Radio X microphone, founder and principal with Intuit Factory. I think he does a little professorial work around here as well, Mr. Roop Singh. How are you, man? Awesome, awesome. It's lovely to see you guys again. It's awesome to be back in the studio and talking to you guys about this. Well, Roop, the last time we chatted, we were talking about blockchain and the big initiative that was going on here. I think that was the first blockchain. Yeah, that was a while ago. It was the first blockchain course that they offered here? What was it that? was the first blockchain strategy bootcamp, which we have now uh, remarketed as a blockchain strategy for business leaders. Uh-huh. It's an executive education program, a very intensive 13 module, three days. And it really covers a breadth and depth of uh, blockchain education and, and how it can transform your business. So now, uh, before we get too far into things, tell us about blockchain in general, just general terms so the lay listener can understand uh, what we're talking about throughout the show. Right. So I'm sure you guys have heard terms like Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, commonly known as cryptocurrencies. And the underlying technology behind that is called blockchain, which essentially is a distributed shared ledger. So what that means is, let's say if we all had a same common ledger or a same common database that we can all share at the same time and view transactions on it at the same time, that is now commonly known as blockchain. And it has a lot of different implications from financial services to supply chain to healthcare to real estate to um, all kinds of different innovation models coming out in the space. So when it started, or most people kind of, I guess, connected to a cryptocurrency, but it's expanded well beyond that. That technology is foundational for a lot of different things. Absolutely. And you said the keyword foundational technology. That's how I view it and that's how I teach it. This technology, although started from uh, what is now called Bitcoin in 2009, but it's really gotten into so many different industries. It is such a foundational technology that's transforming uh, healthcare, transforming gaming, transforming advertising, uh, and especially security of data. So I think what we are looking at here, it may still be early days by some people people's uh, opinion, but what we are seeing is a second wave almost after 10 years of blockchain's evolution, we're now seeing some maturity in the market. We're seeing a lot of uh, blockchain-based platforms that are coming online. We're seeing a lot of blockchain-based entrepreneurship that's showing results. This year has been a year of seeing results and products coming out from a lot of blockchain-based companies. Uh, Over 80 major corporations are in the space now. Gartner predicts by 2025, blockchain impact on business would be about $176 billion and supposed to grow to about $3 trillion by 2030. So this is an amazing time to be in it. 
So now recently you got to, um, I guess, do one of those TEDx talks? Yeah, one of those things. <laughs> and you were at TEDx Atlanta, and then you spoke about uh, digital identity. So how does blockchain impact digital identity? Right. So if you've been watching the news lately, we've had a lot of breaches. Just yesterday I saw a news item come in. Quest Diagnostics, we've all probably used them for some kind of medical lab uh, tests. They were compromised, and over about 12 million records were compromised. And that's just very small in terms of severity of impact. But if you look at the history in the last five years or so, we look at Facebook's compromise, and we look at Equifax. And we that's look probably at, a shorter list who hasn't been compromised. Exactly. So mm -hmm. this problem is not stopping anytime soon. It's in, in fact going to grow. The amount of data that we share is going to grow. So the question becomes for companies, for individuals, for governments, is how do we keep the data secure and safe? And how do we go further and give users access to their own data, users consent to share their own data? How do we make sure that users are now part of that ecosystem of data economy that these companies have created and they monetize and, and use that, uh, but we as users don't get any right or any compensation from it. So the TED Talk was essentially about how severe the problem is and how can we solve the problem in a way that it satisfies all actors, be it regulators, be it businesses, be it consumers, or be it companies. So I believe blockchain-based identity solutions are a step in that direction. They can certainly help solve for all these constraints. And that's going to be the future. You know, another five to eight years from now, you will see a proliferation of blockchain-based identity solutions. And sometimes you may not even be aware that this is a blockchain-based solution as a consumer. It's just under the hood. That's how it's working. And that's the way it would have to work for the consumer. It has to be elegant and kind of invisible, right? Yeah, a lot of times, you know, blockchain has a bad rep of uh, coming from a really, you know, nerdy, geeky arena where people get confused in all the jargon and, and they wonder about all these little codes and they have to download wallets, etc. So I think this year and next year are going to be the phase where a lot of user experience in blockchain applications and blockchain apps uh, platforms come into play and and we will see wider and wider adoption you know one quick uh, data point there i don't know if you saw facebook of all companies is looking to launch a crypto based coin uh, and they've you know used different names for it but i think that's that's on the cards for for 2020 and they're now going through the regulatory hurdles as as a lot of other companies have uh, in that area so we're going to see a lot of mainstream adoption, although there are still quite a few skeptics in the space. And that's one of the reasons that we have this educational programs to help people go from awareness and curiosity, even confusion, to understanding and then finally action and then investment. So let's talk about that uh, three-day program. It's uh, through the Robinson College of Business here at GSU. And it's uh, I think it's at the end of July, early August, one of the dates. Yeah, absolutely. The cohort starts on July 31st through August 3rd. It's a three-day program, 13 modules, seven hours a day. And uh, the interesting part for me is, see, I look at the blockchain space and its evolution. It has four main issues at the moment, and I'll be really quick in describing those. The first one is that executives 
understand the how of the technology. You know, the more I talk to them, the more I find out that they are challenged with understanding why should they invest and what use cases to invest in. Number two, executives don't have enough uh, professionals in their company that have a shared common understanding of the blockchain landscape and, and its basic technology to do these projects together. So there is a capacity issue both on the business business executive end and also on the technical developer talent end. Number three, the one of the challenges that comes up very often is that people are lost. People are lost because they understand one or two aspects of the space, but this space and to really truly appreciate the the transformative impact of it, you have to understand multiple disciplines from innovation to block to strategy to blockchain architecture to cryptography to tokenization, to business models, to use cases, to identity, uh, to decentralization. And what we've done is we've combined all of that in a very intensive uh, kind of boot camp here. So now is the purpose of the boot camp to just give me kind of a, a working knowledge of this or am I going to be kind of an expert at the end of this? You will be an expert at blockchain strategy. And the way I say that is we will take you from some basic ground level understanding and you'll hear from Munir in a second. He can describe his experience uh, on the first uh, uh, version of this um, um, course that we had. So what you will find is that you'll go from basics to understanding use cases in multiple different industries to appreciating the technical architecture and aligning it with your use cases. From day one, you'll start working with your own use cases. And then by the end of it, you will have designed your own business models based on blockchain technology. And you can spin off different ventures uh, on those use cases once you've uh, taken the course. And it's very collaborative and hands-on, or is it a lot of just me listening to smart people? <laughs> Well, you should ask that question to Munir. I'm sure he'll have an interesting answer to it. But the way we've designed it, uh, we use a lot of really interesting learning uh, techniques and, and learning uh, methodologies where it's not just theoretical lecturing on a screen, but we use some some props to help you grasp um, the 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 architecture, the technology, and make it more real for you. Then we also have a lot of interactive questions back and forth uh, so that you can then relate it to your industry, to your environment, and you have all the answers that you need for the potential questions that might come up. And then you also join a, a group later, uh, a LinkedIn group, where you can continue this conversation going forward. So we don't just you know get you excited and get you educated and, and then leave you out uh, in the lurch to fend for yourself. We help you grow through this ecosystem and navigate your blockchain journey with you. Now, I would imagine that a lot of industry executives would benefit from this learning, but are there any that this is kind of a must-have that, that that they should be here or else they're really going to miss out? Yeah, so there's the way I look at it, two different segments. One is if you're in enterprises and if you're at senior level VP of strategy, VP of technology, VP of uh, business transformation, directors, um, or even CIOs and, and CXO level, um, then you must view this as uh, not just a, a mere expense on your training budget, but you should view this as leapfrogging into the, the blockchain space. If you've been wondering about whether to invest in this technology and what use cases to use, and if you've been wondering about how the ecosystem is going to change, what the landscape would be 10 years from now, and why you should really consider this seriously, then you should be there. 
the other segment are entrepreneurs, especially uh, tech-heavy entrepreneurs who want to understand the business strategy side of things, who have really good technical bases, and they've developed uh, maybe uh, apps before and, and platforms or protocols before, but they're really struggling to get their business use case adopted in the market. So we go through a lot of the ecosystem design, adoption design, things of that nature. So this will benefit you to make a successful venture out of your technology. Uh, I say often technology, no technology is worth anything sitting in a lab. It has to be out there with consumers adopted. And that's what we help you achieve. Now, um, when is the, the, again, the deadline to sign up or is it full up right now? Yeah, so we already have people signing up. Uh, the early bird uh, discount ends on June 20th. So you get a 20% discount if you sign now. And the cohort, again, is on July 31st through August 2nd. And where do they go to sign up? So they need to go to robinson.gsu.edu slash blockchain strategy. If you just Google Robinson blockchain, you should be able to find the link. It's an executive education program, three days, 13 modules, seven hours a day, starting on July 31st through August 2nd. All right, let's bring in the real story on this, shall we? Okay. (laughs) You've mentioned him a couple of times. Please join me in welcoming to the program co-founder and COO with Princeta, Mr. Munir Tawfiq. So, tell us how. The, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get the real story, Manu. Yeah, thanks for having me, Leanne Stone. <laughs> really appreciate being here. Um, so, yeah, I I have a background in management consulting, and initially I was trying to understand the blockchain space and see how it applied to my clients. Um, and so, so I was getting. You're talking. You were at Princeton at the time. So this is before I uh, co-founded Princeton. This was uh, I was at Booz doing uh, management consulting. Okay, so you were uh, you had a real job. that's right so i i started as a management consultant and then so you and then you heard about this program from roop well i actually hadn't met roop at the time what i was doing is uh like a lot of people i was going online and looking for information on blockchain Mm -hmm. right trying to educate myself on the space and you probably heard the interview we did with him uh, something like that's what pushed it over. Well, it wasn't Roop selling. You heard Roop a minute ago. It's 23 hours a day, intense, <laughs> grueling, no food, no water. But it was all worth it. <laughs> we might feed you <laughs> if you do good. Um, but so I, I came across the class uh, and I signed up. And really, what you get from the class is. Well, what was your expectation? So, my expectation going in was so we had an initial session before the class. Uh, where Roop said, you know, ask me any questions you have about the class. So what I really wanted to get out of it, and I told him, you know, over and over, I want to understand the use cases for blockchain, right? All I know right now is that there's this cryptocurrency uh, and you can potentially make a lot of money. And then at the time it was actually going down. So it was very volatile. But I wanted to know in industry, in enterprise, what are the use cases? Mm-hmm. Um, so my expectation was, you know, in addition to getting an understanding of blockchain, I really want to know in each different industry, how can we use the technology? Um, and so with the class, you get a understanding of the history of blockchain and how it's different from databases. Uh, and then you go into some Did technical information. Did you know any of this before? I, I, I've used databases, obviously, you know, uh, doing data analytics, but I really didn't understand how blockchain was different from a database structure. Um, so that was eye opening. And then we went through, right, some of the technical information. And then Roop went through examples in gaming, in um, industrials, and in asset management, in fintech, different use cases where blockchain really adds value. 
Um, so that was that was tremendous value for so me. So when did it class. start like connecting dots in your head where I can help people, I can use this, you know, in in ways that maybe you didn't anticipate? Yeah. So I came in with a very specific idea that I wanted to vet myself. Um, so while I was you know consulting with some of my clients. I found that there is a huge uh, inventory, excess inventory problem. And so what I was trying to figure out is there's a lot of this inventory in food products, uh, household items that um, essentially, essentially gets thrown out, but it's still usable items. But on the other hand, around the world and domestically in the U.S., there's a lot of people that can use these items, right? So how so can we... So there's inefficiency in the marketplace. Exactly. And blockchain really provides this ability to create an, an efficient two-way marketplace um, using some AI and smart contract technology to enable that exchange, right? So I came in with kind of a very specific use case. So that's addition. what you were hoping to get out of this, is some solution around that, that blockchain would solve or help you solve? As, as an added benefit, I think in addition to that, the value I got was, again, um, so for example, one of the things I learned was um, you can digitize assets and have you know part ownership of assets through blockchain. Mm-hmm. That's something that uh, really is not available. And there's even a startup right now that's doing that for art. So instead of owning a whole piece, you own, you know, a piece of piece of art. Um, so just getting that perspective on different industries, I think, for me, was the most value. So um, was it engaging? Was it, like, overwhelming? Like, how was it from a learning standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I came in... What could Roop do better? <laughs> Tell them the truth. <laughs> No, Only I, the truth. I mean, Roop has a very colloquial uh, teaching style. So we're not sitting there being lectured, right? It's not like a college so were class. were you okay with that? Or did you want more like a bunch of facts and this is how it is and you process that on your own? I mean, it, it's, uh, it's colloquial, but you're teaching a very technical subject, right? right? So you're still getting facts thrown at you the whole time. Um, but what's nice is, so Roop goes through a, a modular segment and then we just pepper him with questions, right? Because we're learning this for the first time. So it's partially, you know, just content thrown at you, but then there's a whole part of just back and forth on, on questions. Now, do you think that that's where the learning really took place? Like the more you're kind of articulating the message and like kind of playing around with these concepts and amongst your peers as well, I'm sure. Is that where it's kind of sinking in and dots are getting connected for you? Exactly, right? So it's... it's um what people like me have been doing before is reading articles in isolation, right? Right. Now you have a subject matter expert teaching you, but on top of that, you have people. So in our class, we had a group from SunTrust Bank. Um, we had someone that started their own IT business. Um, so we had different people in, you know, coming from different industries. And so we had a conversation going as well. So we, you know, had a good amount of learning in addition to the content as well. Now, um, how does Princeton fit into all this? So in the interim, Princeton occurred, or was this the catalyst for Princeton? So Princeton's kind of out of left field. Uh, it's a hardware startup. Um, so it has nothing to do with blockchain? Uh, not not at the moment. Uh, it's more of something my partner and I were working on the side, and we got an investor, so we decided to work on full-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I intend on um, pursuing that idea I mentioned about creating a marketplace Um to reallocate excess supply. Uh, and I want to leverage blockchain for that. So down the road, I do intend to use what I've learned. So now overall, so the course didn't kind of compel you to let's get going in blockchain and I'm all in and I'm, I'm leaving my consulting gig and I'm going to just do this. It wasn't that life-changing for you? Well, it's more like 
you take the opportunities that come to you, right? And so I was. How would blockchain handle this? How would blockchain handle this? <laughs> blockchain uh, would decentralize s- all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Through smart co- contracts, help you figure exactly. out what's right. We need to have a portfolio of these ventures. That's what yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah. interests, right? And then somebody <laughs> has the other side of that. Yeah, Munir is a smart guy, so he has a portfolio of all these decentralized ventures that are going on. We'll see. On we'll everywhere. see. <laughs> so at some point, you think you're gonna play in the blockchain world no I, I fully intend to mm-hmm. i mean that is my intention so now that was a good foundation for you going through that first class yeah i mean uh got a very good overview of what blockchain is how to use it strategy and everything what so. about the connections in the room with the other the cohort the other people in there did that help was that helpful the networking amongst other people that are mm-hmm. also on the same path yeah so i mean uh I'll give you an example. There was one person I met who uh, was an analyst at SunTrust. So uh, we still kept in touch. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to him about, you know, master's programs and further education. Um, and we talk about blockchain and, and kind of the work he's doing as well at the bank. So, and then uh, are you going to take part in the, the new um, program in July? So I, I moved to New York a couple of months ago, so I won't be physically here to take it. Uh, but Rupa and I stay in touch, so I kind of get this information for free. <laughs> That's just the added did, I didn't know you did free consulting group. That's Only new. for friends. <laughs> <laughs> you can join my list. <laughs> so the best thing is once you've taken the, the program, you're welcome to come back anytime and join, join the next cohort and see what's latest, what's updated, You know, look at latest case studies, look at latest frameworks we've come up with, and also interact with the new cohort members and, and see how the space is evolving because this is a really fast evolving space. I mean, you know, since we did the first one, um, it's been over uh, a year, year, year and a half. I, th- I would say, and the world has shifted quite a bit. The space has matured, a lot more companies, a lot more investment, a lot, lot more new platforms, a lot more technologies, a lot more use cases, a lot more headlines, a lot more confusion, a lot more hype, a lot more uh, dissent and, and uh, sort of dissatisfaction. And you know, blockchain right now is going through this sort of trough of disillusionment if you fought, follow a Gartner hype cycle. So it's sort of on the way down and people are saying, well, there has to be some consolidation in the industry. The technology must mature. The regulatory aspect needs to be clarified. And what you'd also see is, if you take a very international view, U.S. is is somewhat not in the leading space in this. There are other countries that have put a lot more investment, and you'll see a lot more um, entrepreneurial ventures and a lot more clarity on the regulatory aspects. So that's fueling their growth. So there's a very dynamic ecosystem here that's evolved. And if you come back, you get to understand all of that again. Now, Manir, for the executives that are out there, who should who do you think should be paying attention to this and take part of this uh, next uh, session? Yeah, so anybody involved in innovation that's leading innovation for their uh, firm, I think there's also uh, a good application in supply chain as well. Um, So I'd recommend folks in supply chain as well to attend. Um, As well as generally, it's it's good to be just educated on this emerging technology. Uh, I think it will be pretty commonplace in the coming years. So just having a familiarity with it is good for anyone. And uh, tell us a little bit about Princeton. I know it's not exactly blockchain-y, but uh, tell us about your work there. Yeah, so Princeton is a hardware startup. Uh, what we're trying to do is um, basically for circuit board manufacturing, we want to bring that capability in-house. 
So right now it takes uh, two to four weeks for companies to manufacture circuit boards. By bringing it in-house through our machine, you can do it within 30 minutes. Wow. And that drastically reduces your product development cycle. And then what's the sweet spot? What industry is best? Any type of technology or anybody who uses circuit boards? I mean, anything's in circuit. Uh, circuit boards are in everything, right? Mm-hmm. So from cell phones to robots to just smoke uh, detectors. So uh, there's a lot of kind of tailwinds that are helping us. Um, so robotics, uh, you know, AI, autonomous vehicles, all these things will need new circuit boards made. Um, so we're kind of targeting these emerging industries as well as a lot of legacy companies as well. Now, you suggested that it wasn't very blockchain-y, but if I understand this whole thing, it's part of a supply chain to a great many industries. Mm-hmm. Blockchain is going to touch this guy as much as anybody else, right? Even in this particular venture. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Stone. So when we talk about blockchain, there is this myth that it should only be talked about in isolation. The fact yeah. of the matter is that if you look at all these emerging technologies, be it AI, uh, IoT, uh, or data analytics, or or blockchain, they're all going to work in cohesion. It's a full stack that that needs to evolve, and and we'll see network effects from one technology going to the other. AI will improve because of blockchain. Blockchain will improve because of IoT. Because of IoT, we'll have to develop new kinds of blockchain platforms, and hence we go around and around. So this is not to be talked in isolation, but looked at a at a wide lens of how the emerging world of business, of consumers, of how the emerging economy uh, would exist. You know, we're talking about autonomous vehicles that'll take your, uh, that'll probably be uh, getting, um, you know, paying its parking while you're getting gas, uh, while (laughs) while your fridge is ordering your eggs, um, while uh, your Nest uh, com- uh, system at home is monitoring your temperature, keeping it cool, by the time you come back and the car knows that at the home that this needs to be the temperature. So if you look at this kind of a futuristic world, which is honestly not that far away, blockchain will be the backbone of sharing data of security in that environment. So, Benia, um, before we wrap, a uh, website for Princeta? Yeah, so it's uh, just princeta.io, really simple. And uh, you're a GSU alum? I am not. I actually came here after I graduated from University of South Carolina. Um, But I know a lot of uh, Georgia Tech and Georgia State But you went through, so the fact that it was at GSU. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, yeah, I am. I am a Georgia State alum. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> we got him to take an executive education program really? at Robinson. Exactly. So he's officially Rude. ours. Come on. We, we've adopted him. Now. <laughs> uh, and your experience going through the program was positive and you recommend it to other executives. No, it's fantastic. I, I strongly recommend it. I actually uh, told my bosses and managers you should take this course as well. It's not a really significant time commitment in my opinion. A couple of days uh, very engaging content, very useful information. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, so the guy sitting next to me, his first name is Munir. The guy at the end of the table has a turban on that matches his pocket square. And the last name that I don't know how to pronounce belongs to the guy that looks like he just jumped off of a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> I got Josiah. How do you pronounce your last name? Myhawk. Myhawk. All right. Please join us in welcoming to the program Operations Manager with Coins Technologies, Inc., Josiah Myhawk. Thanks, man. How did I do? I did. You did great. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, man. You've got to lean in there, Josiah. Tell us about Coins. How are you serving folks? So Coins is a fintech, not tech, or a financial technology. 
Uh, we are not based in blockchain or anything like that, but it is a technology space in finance. So uh, on purpose, you're not in, involved in blockchain? Not yet. Mm-hmm. Similar to what they were talking about with uh, it's more based on um, you know, the way that you guys set up your uh, – your, the way you get your supply chain. Uh, ours is technology-based, so there aren't any hard products, not physical products. So um, how, how, are, how do you work now? How does it work? Yes, the way it works now is on a roundup basis uh, on transactions, your daily transactions. So if you've ever heard of Acorns, it works similarly in that you would connect your daily transaction card, debit card, or credit card that you make your transactions on, whatever's connected to your bank. And then as you make daily transactions, anything, gas, food, coffee, anything like that, it rounds up your transaction to the nearest dollar. So if you spend 250 on a cappuccino, it round up to the nearest dollar, three. 50 cents would go into a vertical bucket. On your account, and at the end of the month, all of those transactions, all of those roundup account or roundup transactions, turn into one large bucket amount, which is sent as an additional payment to a lender. So, if you have a credit card or a student loan, which is actually how the software got started in the first place as a concept, that roundup goes as an additional payment on top of whatever payment you're actually making towards a credit card or a student loan or a car car loan or even a home mortgage. So, now, how much money is that typically for an average user? Uh, it ranges from $45 to $70, and it depends on where the lifetime of the customer is. So as we were talking a little bit earlier, um, if you have somebody who's in school, transactions are probably lower. There's there's less transactions that you're doing on your phone. You probably has, have less subscription-based platforms that are pulling from your card each month. As you get a little bit older and you're post-grad, you tend to make more purchases on your uh, cards. So those transactions tend to be higher. Like my own personal roundups are around $75 to $80 per month. And then how much of an impact on a loan, like how much money is that saving a person by paying the stuff off out of engine earlier? Yeah, so it depends on the balance of the loans that they have. So if you're looking at low-interest loans like a student loan, those are around 5 or 6%, sometimes 4%. Uh, that could save you around $1,300 over the lifetime of a loan if you're paying it off within three to five years. And then what's the fee to participate in coins? So we take a $1.99 convenience fee or a service fee. Uh, and that actually doesn't come in addition to your roundups. That actually comes out of your roundups. So the money that you're saving up across the course of the month, it comes out of that bucket. So if you saved up $45, it takes a buck ninety nine out of that before the payment gets sent out to the lender. So you don't even miss the convenience fee or the service fee. Mm-hmm. And then so what does the future hold for you? So we've got a few things that we're working on, actually. Um a big, big one that we're rolling on up right now is our friends and family option, which I mean, you can probably guess from the name. It allows people to contribute towards debt for people close to them. So as you're actually saving up and putting roundup payments towards a debt that you have, like a credit card or student loan or anything like that, you can actually have friends or family close to you. You can send them a link and easily have them contribute towards your debt as well. And it can be an amount anywhere from you know small amount like $20 or if they want to help out more and be more generous. So uh, what if I want to pay off, like, can I make this public? Like, say, you can, Josiah's debt can be out there, and then we can all... <laughs> like, like crowd, I'll post crowd a link for you on my LinkedIn, right after this, if you want. You know. the, so the nice thing about that feature is, normally, because you have to pass, because you're in the banking space, it's a heavily regulated space, as it should be. Um, so you have to pass, as you get an account set up, there's certain uh, identification information they have to put in at the very beginning, like your name and everything to verify who you are, contact information, uh, your permanent address. But to get somebody to contribute to your debt, if you want to have a friends or family member actually pitch in and send some money your way, they don't actually have to. All they have to do is provide the payment information. So if they're helping out with a credit card or debit card, um, all they have to do is follow the hyperlink or the link to your donation uh, uh contribution page and put in the payment amount, put in their name, how they're paying for it, and then it goes in process. They don't actually have to create an account like you do. The only reason you have to have an account is so that we know where we're sending the money at. 
But are you doing this for just like personal one-on-one relationships or is it going to, do you see it evolving into like kind of a GoFundMe thing where like, uh, I wasn't kidding about the strangers participating in this, but like maybe it's for a cause rather than paying off a debt. Yeah. And it could naturally evolve Hmm. into that. I think it depends on the comfort of the user more than anything else. Um, a big space that we're starting to get into right now is DMPs, which is their debt management uh, programs and their credit counselors, groups like that. And they deal with a plethora of customers who these are people that, you know, they've had a really hard time trying to capture uh, a handle on the debt that they've accrued over the years uh, from whatever area it's from. It could be consumer debt, it could be education debt. And they really didn't get the money management skills early on in life to try and figure out how to manage it. So they're on a journey towards educating themselves on what to do with their debt and how to how to control it, how to take take control of it. So for groups like that, it's really important for us to work with DMP programs or uh, DMP partners because they deal with a lot of these people on a daily basis and they counsel them on what steps they should take next uh, how, which, if they should do a snowball effect on paying off their debt. And those kind of people, uh, and those kind of programs are really good for us to partner up with because our software is something that they've been looking for in that space for a long time to offer to these people. But they have, they can't build it in house because the, the infrastructure on the software side to be able to have a bank partner and ha- make this work is, is so hard that it's much easier to have somebody like us that they can have is a payment processing service that they offer versus, and they can recommend it to their customers, but they don't actually have to build it on their own. And, and then the are they problem. white labeling it? Yeah. So it would be a white label process. So it'd be like a powered buy. Right. So now how did this whole idea come about? You mentioned it was geared towards student debt at the beginning. Yeah. So it started off in May of 2016, Christian Zimmerman, who's a GSU alum and his co-founder who came in a little bit later, uh, Nate Washington, he's actually a GSU alumni as well. Uh, but Christian actually started off with a concept, and that was in May. So he did a pitch practice at Atlanta Tech Village, which is in Buckhead, near Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, he started off that. He, he just had a promotional video. He had the concept of what he wanted to do. I think he had the video done for the proof of concept by uh, like a Fiverr subscription <laughs> software. So you pay like $5, and they make a video for you with animations, and you basically get the idea. And in like two minutes, you get a pitch, and then... Uh, he got a lot of he got a lot of uh, hype in the area after putting that out there. So obviously, there's that's not proof of concept, but it's getting the concept out there, and, and uh, people really engaged with it, and liked it right away. Christian's the number one networker I know; he knows everybody in Atlanta. Uh, so it was really easy for him to get after after the information was out there about what he was working on. It made it really easy for him to get out there and start networking the idea into the ecosystem. But of this Atlanta guy, startups. he didn't have the tech piece of this figured out, did he? No. So that's where Nate Washington comes in. Nate's a developer. Right. Uh, originally from Savannah, Georgia, but he came here for school. And uh, Nate had a side business that he was actually doing. He was building software on the side, and he, he would actually teach. He actually had uh, e-courses for coding on the side for people who don't have a coding background. And they actually met at like a speed dating event for founders and co-founders. Wow. So, so when you're trying to connect a non-technical co-founder like Christian with a technical co-founder like Nate, two people that are interested in taking on other projects and they actually have something that they're working on, but they're, they're interested in trying other avenues as well. And they actually met at this co-founders lab, like a uh, speed dating event and they match, make it happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think this was probably That's like right blockchain. around it's then. Blockchain, right? <laughs> Everything's blockchain. Everything's blockchain. It's like the flywheel of the future. <laughs> Forget your cars. Now all you need is blockchain. So now, at some point, though, you're going to get into blockchain, you think? Is that part of the evolution of this, or, or are you going to stay in this, uh, doing business this way? Uh, so I think the avenue is definitely there. Um, if you if you look at the 
the sphere that is growing and the areas, the touch points that blockchain has the ability to get into as the functionality builds out, especially in the finance space. You talk about a space that is uh, in some ways so structured and, and uh, what's the word? Just like there, there is so much restriction in the space because you're dealing with people's money. You're dealing with their livelihood. Uh, so it's it can be really strict in some cases, and that can also lead to being archaic in other forms as well. I mean, the fact that people still write checks and banks still take checks, paper checks, it just blows my mind a little mm-hmm. bit that a space like mm-hmm. this uh, that should be so careful still does things that to most of us seem rudimentary. Uh, so this there's definitely growth space in there for for adapting towards block, uh, uh, blockchain usage just because it's going to make it more efficient. The security measures are there, and they're building out rapidly. Uh, and it's if you look at the physical footprint of of adopting these strategies versus the physical footprint of an average bank branch, uh, getting it instituted is much easier than say building a brick and mortar as they t- typically do in the space. Okay. So secondary lending is a huge use case for blockchain, and there's quite a few bigger companies, bigger banks, in fact, that are investigating that. The not just the the element of security, which is just the normal thing we talk about, but also having uh, to create an ecosystem where people can trade assets between themselves and and lenders can view what's happening in the secondary lending marketplace. So it could lead to a development of new marketplaces, and that's the promise. But is it going to disrupt the middlemen that are involved because it's so secure and it's you know, the ledger is keeping track of both sides. Why do I need people in the middle? So I think that's a really important point because people, obviously you want things to be more efficient, but I think there will always be a need to a certain extent for a middleman. If you think of a group like MasterCard, for instance, you probably think of them as a, a, a sole entity. But the way it works is MasterCard is really just a customer service arm towards the finance sector. So they are backed by a physical bank. And then you use their service and you use their customer side their customer-facing platform and their services as a contact uh, or as the front-facing contact for whatever customers you have as a bank because it's easier for you to focus on financial management as the bank and have a customer service arm like MasterCard or Simple Bank or any of those groups that actually handles contact with the customer and those day-to-day processes that happen and have to happen. Yeah, so the way I look at the question of middlemen, it's hard to define sometimes who is the middleman. My theory is unless you add value in the supply chain from the consumer to the product, you're not going to be there. If you do add value, then you will be there. It's simple as that. And as you describe it, if you're a front-facing customer service uh, service provider, then there is a certain value that you add in terms of creating the footprint and, and, and servicing the customer, educating them, getting them to adopt these new platforms. So there is a certain value there for sure. But if you generally look at the idea of should there be middlemen or not, we are going to move to an era of platforms where only the partners that add specific value would remain. And a lot of the inefficiencies would be taken out. In fact, my journey into blockchain was from the point of view of business process efficiencies, business process automation. And I think blockchain is the best way for business process automation and efficiency because it forces you to consider the ecosystem you could play in. You know, you can only have so much fun on a blockchain alone. So you have to have other people to interact with, and that's where the choice of those partners comes into place. If you look at the evolution now, there are a lot of uh, consortiums that are trying to figure that out in multiple industries, in healthcare, in real estate, in financial services, et cetera, in supply chain, in, in logistics. 
who are the right partners to be on this platform and can blockchain enable a shared platform for them where they can get the data securely, safely, and quickly and timely. Well, Josiah, if somebody wanted to learn more about coins, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys? So you can look us up on the web at coins with a Q, so Q-O-I-N-S dot I-O as our uh, URL. And then you can also find us on Twitter, Coins Inc. And you can also find us on uh, Instagram as Coins Inc. as well. And then uh, Coins is operational. It's helping people, right? You're in a, you're in a growth stage right now, right? We are. Yeah, we're in a really large growth stage right now, especially as we bring on DMP partners as well. And that's what you need more of is more DMP partners? Yeah, so we're looking at BNB space as well as DS, uh, B2C space as well. Um, but I think the biggest growth for us is going to be uh, any way that we can scale vertically to get more people on on our space using uh, the debt reduction space and helping them out with their journey towards it because it's something we all suffer is a lot of, a lot of debt. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. And thanks to all of our guests. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on GSU ENI Radio. Thank you. Wow, these things go faster than I imagined every time.